I turned it off. I forgot I turned it off. I humbly apologize to the tech team, which is perfect because the title of my message today is Humble is the Way. (laughs) There was a mother with two little girls who lived in Marietta, Georgia, and uh, she was having a hard time making sure her little daughters were behaving well. And so one night she made up a story where she said, during the day there is an elf who is watching you, and during the night when you go to bed, he flies back to Santa with magic and tells Santa everything you did. And it scared her little girls. And then she said, in the morning the elf is back here in the house, and it's going to watch you again, and you can't touch him, and you can't bother him. He'll, he'll lose all his magic, lose all his power, and you, you want Santa to know all the good things you've done. And this, this story, she told it to some of her friends, and one of her girlfriends in particular said, you've got something here. And sure enough, they put a plan together to create a product called Elf on the Shelf, and now that product makes that family $10 million every single year. And, you know, I think it's, it's, we're entering that Christmas season, aren't we? And what I want to really talk about today is not putting the elf on the shelf, but why don't we put ourselves on the shelf? Hey, church, let's do it this holiday season. Let's put ourselves on the shelf. I was watching a commercial when I was watching TV this week, and, and it was the commercial for the brand new Samsung phone. And this, this commercial showed you this, the only way they promoted the phone. This is the only way they promoted the phone. The 44 different ways that you can take a selfie with this phone. I'm not joking you. And I thought to myself after I watched this commercial, it feels as if society has begun to slip into a very selfish season. Man. And it's clear in the Bible when I read the word of God how important it is for us to be humble. You know, I love what Preston said with the offering. We like to be selfish. It creeps in at times. We like to look around and say, look what I have accomplished. Look what I have created. Look at what I have hoarded for myself. But oh, if we would understand and truly understand how really important it is this holiday season, and not just the holiday season, but for every single day of our life to put ourselves on the shelf and to let Jesus have the glory, have the worship, take all the credit. Amen, church? There is a wild story in the Bible in the book of Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus tells this story to the followers, maybe thousands have gathered around him for this story. And he tells the story. I want to read this to you, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40. Jesus says as follows, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those 
on his right. That's the sheep. You remember, he put the sheep on his right. So the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Listen to the answer of the righteous. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And what I want to focus on here is the response of the righteous, the humility of the righteous. When I read this verse, it's as if the righteous are trying to say, God, we, we, don't, even deserve, we don't deserve what you're about to give us. They're trying to talk them, the king out of the gift. When did we do this, God? I don't remember doing any of this for you, God. When was I such a good person? I don't remember doing all these good things, God. I, I, no, Lord, it, it cannot be for me. It cannot be so. How humble are they, folks? And I would even be bold enough to surmise today and say today that heaven is for the humble, not the proud. It's for the humble. You know, when we get to heaven, we're going to receive a crown. I believe the prideful would look at the crown and be very excited about the crown and begin to compare their crown to other crowns and begin to boast about the size of the jewels and their crown and the, the greatness of their crown and the size of their crown. And what would heaven be like if it was full of people like that? It wouldn't be heaven at all. But the Bible actually says we're going to receive crowns. And what are we going to do with those crowns? We're going to give them back. We're going to lay them at his feet. Why? It's because heaven is full of humble people. Heaven is full of people who say, I don't deserve this mansion. I don't deserve this crown. I don't deserve these gifts. I don't deserve this love. I don't deserve this acceptance. I don't deserve... Eternity in paradise, God. I wanna, I don't, I give it all back to you, Jesus. I, I don't know why you're doing so much for me, Jesus. Humble is the way, folks. Amen, church. Matthew 18, verse 3 says, well, This is Jesus who said it. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Children are an example of the bottom of society. They, they, they have no title. They have no education, no status. They haven't even had enough time to build up a good name. They have absolutely nothing to offer. This is how Jesus wants us to come to him. 
I find it interesting now how our society has churned against babies, taking advantage of the ones who have no voice, no title, no education, nothing to offer. They're throwing them away and they're murdering them. Why is that? It's because they cannot speak for themselves. And that's how Jesus sees us. He sees us as children. We have nothing to offer. The moment you think you have something to offer God today is the moment where the wonderful, humbling experience is just around the corner for you, for us. Amen? Isn't that right? The moment you look at your gift and your, your uh, abundance and say, God, I, I can supply this for you. I can do that for you. And I'm going to do amazing things for you, God. God is, he ain't going to let you do it. He's going to humble you. He's going to get you down on your knees to worship him and him alone. And Jesus sees us as children. And look at what Jesus does for his children just like what we do for our children. He make a great sacrifice of himself to supply for his children. He made sacrifices so that we won't have to suffer, just like we do, parents, for our children. Make sacrifices for them so that they do not have to suffer. God is going to take care of us for eternity because we are his children. Are you thankful today? Luke 9, verse 23. Jesus says to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. He says to us, we need to give up our own way. Take up our cross. Follow Jesus. Total and complete stripping of our own personal accomplishments. If you think your good works will earn you heaven, you're wrong. It's your repentance and need of Jesus' forgiveness that gets you in. Amen, church? Luke 15, verse 7 says this, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. One percent. One out of 99. One percent. Jesus says that narrow is the way to heaven and broad is the way to destruction. He said that and he repeatedly reiterated that over and over again with his stories. Jesus is making it very clear to us that one out of 99 say, I am a sinner. And 99 out of 100 say, I'm righteous. I'm in no need of a savior. I am good. Wow. One percent. The number 1 to 99 shocks me. It makes me even think about the Old Testament where Gideon's army starts off with 30,000 men. 
but dwiddles and whittles and, and, and chops down and, and knives down to an edge of how many? 300. 1%. God only needs 1%. 1% with God is better than your 99% on your own. Amen, church? Amen. We serve a wonderful Savior. Wow. Luke 15, verse 21 says this. His son said to him, this is the prodigal son. Listen to what the prodigal son said to him. Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The prodigal son was welcome home because he completely and fully repented of his sin. Stripping every bit of pride, every bit of self-righteousness, every bit of whatever he thought he had deserved, whatever he thought that he should have gotten from the father, all that was gone. He was down to nothing. He was, when he left, he was the 99%. Full of himself, full of life, money in his pocket, ready to take on the world. And when he came home, he was nothing but 1% of himself. Which is all that God has ever desired of us to be broken, humbled, down on our knees, saying, I am a sinner and I am in need of forgiveness today. Can I get an amen, church? Luke 15, verses 28 through 29, later on in the story of the prodigal son, the older son, the older brother, replies, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And all that time, you never gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Can you see the righteousness, the self-righteousness of the older son, the older brother? Can you see he's trying to prove to the father that his good works is what it takes to earn a father's heart for him. And the father would have said to him, I never once desired your accomplishments your talents, your, 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 even what you had to offer me, all I ever wanted from you was for you to just love me and I will love you too. And it was the righteousness, the self-righteousness and the pride of the older brother that, that caused the separation between him and his father, just like it was the pride of the prodigal son that separated him from the father. And God is desiring all of us today to strip off that idea that we are something special and to say, God, I just need your forgiveness today. Take me as I am, God. Amen, church? There are people in this world who look at what they have and think they are God's gift. No, no. The truth is, is God has given you a gift. You are not God's gift. Romans 11 verse 32 says, For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so he could have mercy on everyone. 
Can you see the gift of mercy extended to us from our wonderful creator? We are lost without him. We are doomed for an eternity in hell without him. What a wonderful savior. When Saul went out to do some, when, when, when David went out to do some fighting, he had tons of accomplishments. Major success. He came home from wars and, and, and many battles, and the ladies started singing, David has killed his ten thousands. And what did they say about Saul? What did they say about Saul? And Saul has killed only his thousands. And what happened to Saul's heart when he heard the women singing this song? His pride rose up and said, I I'm getting I'm getting a thousand and David's getting ten thousand. I'm greater than David. Oh. Pride got in the way. What was David's response to the song of, of the ladies? Humility. He never once held it over Saul's head. He never once said, Did you hear that song, Saul? That's what I thought. Did you hear that song, my mighty men? That's right. I'm the man. Nope. David responded in humility. Saul responded with pride. Hmm. I think about this verse in Romans chapter 11, verse 32. It says, I'll read it again to you. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so he could have mercy on everyone. Hmm. What a, what a wild plan from God. Man. And the reason he does this is so that we would repent <laughs> and ask for forgiveness. Interesting. I think about my life. I wonder if you think about your life. I think about my life a lot. You know what I sometimes I think about? If I were to just sit down and map out my own life and come up with my own plan and create my plan, and it would be all about me, you know what would happen to me? I would become filled with pride. Let me read to you James 4, verses 14 through 17. James warns us, he says, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Interesting question. Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. There's a sociologist named Breen Brown who gave a TED's talk, a TED talk. And her talk was on vulnerability. Listen to what this sociologist, Breen Brown, had to say about vulnerability. This talk has accumulated now more than 15 million views on just YouTube alone. A significant factor in its popularity is the plain truth that as much as we fight it, we long for the freedom to admit we are broken. We don't realize our need to do it. 
It's true for every one of us, and it's most true for those who least realize it, she says. Brown helps us see we're not alone. Here's what she says. We are those people. The truth is, we are the others. Most of us are one paycheck, one divorce, one drug-addicted kid, one mental health diagnosis, one serious illness, one sexual assault, one drinking binge, one night of unprotected sex, or one affair away from being those people. The ones we don't trust, the ones we pity, the ones we don't let our children play with, the ones bad things happen to, the ones we don't want living next door. Matthew 5, verses 25 through 26 says this. When you are on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. And after that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. Breen Brown goes on to say there are too many voices telling us to keep up appearances because if we don't, our life will fall apart. There are too many voices telling us to entertain ourselves. And if we don't think the bad thoughts, the bad stuff will somehow trickle away. That's why the people of our times have become masters of illusion, experts at covering pain, abusers of medication, slaves of financial debt, followers of fads, and partakers of loneliness. Because we won't realize that the only solution for being broken is humility. The good news that God makes the broken whole He takes the overlooked, the undervalued, the left out, the written off, the damaged and destroyed, and then he does what only he can do. Jeremiah, the prophet, in the book, in chapter 18 of the book of Jeremiah, talks about how he sees a potter working on a piece of clay. And he begins to fashion the clay and mold the clay and work the clay and spin the clay and make the clay what the potter wants the clay to be. But then a, a, a little uh, 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 fault happens in the clay. And does the potter throw the clay away? Jeremiah points out the fact that no, the potter doesn't throw the clay away, but sees a crack or sees a flaw or sees an edge that's not quite right, and he tears down the clay to restart the building process again. And it was a prophecy for the Israel of people that you have been torn down, but don't worry, people of Israel, you are not going to be thrown out. You're not going to be tossed to the side to harden and die. No, the the master potter is going to begin to mold you and shape you and bring you back to life, bring you back to shape once again. But it was important for the people of Israel to understand that they were a broken, flawed, cracked, uh, abused piece of clay. And when they admitted that, then the potter could begin to reshape them. You see, when we lie to ourselves and we pretend like we're flawless and we pretend like, 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 like we have something to offer God, then the clay begins to be unused by the potter and it sits on the shelf waiting for the clay to admit, <laughs> I'm not very good up here. I'm not doing well up here. Help me out, God. Help me out, master potter, master artist. I am broken. 
we can pray this prayer. God, take my broken pieces and remold them into what seems best for you. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, beautiful, beautiful sermon by Jesus. He says this, one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him. He began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. I used to collect baseball cards when I was a kid. You know which cards I liked the most? The players who are really, really good, right? You ever open up a pack of baseball cards, hockey cards, basketball cards, and you're like, what? You look at the you look at the, the <laughs> you look at the names and you're like I don't I don't really care about, you know, Evan Brown, <laughs> lineman for the Detroit Lions, right? Yeah, what you what do you want? You want to see Barry Sanders? Oh my gosh. You want to see Michael Jordan? You want to see Tom Brady? And you look at that card, you see that, that name, you see that big name. Why do you want that? Because you look in the back and you see the stats on the back of the card. Six Super Bowls, running back champion, you know, playoff wins and stats and stats and stats galore. You want the players with all the stats on the back of the card, don't you? And sometimes we treat our life like that. We're trying to build stats up on the back of our card. And we're trying to say, I've served you, God, for 30 plus years. I've given thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, God. Look at my stats, God. Aren't you happy with me, God? And all the while, God is so desiring us to say, oh, Lord, these stats don't matter. Show me your heart. Forgive me, God, of all my sins. I think our, our stats should be asked for forgiveness every single day. <laughs> Amen, church? Didn't let, his, didn't let his right hand know what his left hand was doing when he or she was being generous. Amen, church? Almost as if no stats whatsoever. To, told, told God, God, it doesn't matter if I've served you for 40 years. Uh, I, I'm not going to hold, I'm not going to somehow make a deal with you, God, to say, oh, Lord, I've done this for you. Could you do this for me? No, I just humbly bow my knee, God, and, and I just say, Lord, just fill me with your presence. Amen, church? Hmm. 
I'd like to end with a few stories here. God is a wonderful God, isn't he? You know, we could take advantage of God if we want to. He's full of mercy and forgiveness and love. And many times people use that against God. How? How? They do evil things knowing God's not going to do anything to them in this life. They take advantage of the mercies of God. They take advantage of the grace of God. They take advantage of the love of the Father. They take advantage of the eternal mercy that God displays for his children down here on the earth. They take advantage of that. But God is so kind and so gracious. We have a choice when it comes to God's kindness and mercy, don't we? We can either say, I'm taking advantage of it, or we can say, I am so unworthy, God. I love you, God. There's two responses to the mercies of God. It's a story of a newly saved man named Brian. Newly saved, really falling in love with God, really a miraculous salvation, once an atheist and now Christian, and, and he started attending a church, and the pastor recognized right away that this man was really, really in love with God and, and immediately asked Brian, could you be the, the intercessor here at the church? And <laughs> Brian said yes, and he didn't even know what an intercessor was. He, was, he didn't have no idea what that meant. But he could, the pastor could tell that when Brian prayed, there was, a, there was something in him, a humbleness in him, a desire to just connect with the Father. And it was, it was a childlike heart, and it was a childlike words that came out of him, and it was refreshing to hear Brian pray. So the pastor asked him to be an intercessor, and he did really well at that once he found out, figured out what an intercessor actually did. It's just like a prayer person, you know? Lead intercessor. Then the pastor asked Brian, I want you to, I want you to take the, the, the outreach team and I want you to organize street witnessing nights out on the streets. I want you to be head of this and leader over this team, this outreach team that goes out and does street witnessing. And Brian would talk about how when the, him and the team would go out, they would see wonderful things take place constantly. Every, it seemed like every single night they went out, People were getting healed on the streets. Many people getting saved. And those people would come to church on Sunday. The church started growing. It was amazing to see. He's actually said revival started to take place at church because of these street witnessing nights. It got such to be such a wonderful revival that they would, they would do these big, long weekend services, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, and they were getting 30 people would get baptized a night. It was a wonderful thing to see. And, and Brian and his team on this one evening went out street witnessing on a summer night, and they came across a group of, of teenage boys. Intimidating, really. Walked up to the boys and just simply asked the group, can we pray with you about anything? And of course, <laughs> the boys laughed at them and mocked them and cursed them. Oh, you blankety blankers. <laughs> Are you guys Christians? And just mocked them and cursed at them and laughed at them. And Brian said, well, is there anything at all that I could pray for? And one kid had a broken arm with a cast on it. And the kid said, yeah, why don't you pray for my blankety arm? And Brian said, okay, we'll pray. And the boy stopped and said, I'll tell you what. If God heals my blankety blanket arm, I'll believe. Brian said, okay. Prayed for the boy. 
quick prayer because he could tell the boys weren't interested in prayer. Right? The boy didn't want prayer. The boy was mocking Brian and his team and mocking God. And Brian prayed a quick prayer over the boy. And as the boys walked away, the kid with the cast on flicked them off. They went to church the very next night. And that boy with a broken arm walked to the door. No cast on his arm. Brian said, I recognize you. Where's your cast? He said, God healed my broken arm. Now listen, that's called mercy. That boy deserve healing? Do we deserve it? Are we so proud to say, oh, I'm so glad I'm not that boy? Or we say to ourselves, I am that boy. Right now I'm that boy. And everything God has done for me, I don't deserve. That boy did become a Christian. That that boy did come to church that night. That boy did get saved. But God didn't heal that boy because that boy showed some sort of good works or good speech or or, 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 or any kind of warmness to the group of Christians. No, that boy was healed because of the goodness and the mercies and the graciousness of God, and that's how our God works. Amen, church? Let me end with this. In her book, Corey Ten Boom wrote this book. I think it's called Tramp for God. What a wild name for that book, isn't it? Tramp for God. That's like, talk about a humble woman of God. She was a missionary, and she did amazing things around the world, and she tells the story of when she was in Russia. This was back, way back in the day when communism was at its height, and, and the Christians were being persecuted and killed and hunted down. And she walked into this one home of a Christian couple, older, older Christian couple in Russia, and she could, there was a woman sitting on a couch, and she had scoliosis so bad that she was twisted and bent over, and she couldn't move, and, and it, she reports that she had to have pillows in certain places underneath her body just so that she wouldn't just twist off the couch and so that it could hold her up. And uh, she, the only thing she could move on her body was her finger. That was the only part of her body not affected by the scoliosis. But this is the interesting thing about this old woman. She was the only Christian in the entire community that could translate English into Russian. And she'd sit in her house with her one finger all day and one letter at a time translate the Bible into Russian. And Corey Ten Boom walked into the house and saw this woman and became came so full of compassion for this woman. She prayed in that very moment when she saw her, God, could you please just heal this woman so she could be used greater by you? And her husband stopped Corey Ten Boom from praying and said, no, no, no. My wife is old and crippled and the Russian police leave us alone because they think we don't do anything. This illness This disease, this affirmity is a secret weapon used by God. All day long, one letter at a time, she translates the Bible into Russian and delivers, and then prints those translations and gets the Bible out spreading the gospel. I want to just let you know today that sometimes 
we have a thorn in our flesh or something afflicting us, something keeping us down, holding us back. But what it truly is, is it's God's secret weapon to use you and to use me. Amen, church? And it was just a, the humble response of the, of the husband and the humble response of the crippled woman on the couch to say, no, I am a secret weapon in this community. I am a secret weapon in this country. They don't even think I'm a threat to spread the gospel, but all day long, all I do is type one letter at a time, spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen, church? Let's stand to our feet, church. Let's stand to our feet. We don't deserve a single thing. We don't deserve anything, but God is a giver. God is a gift giver. God is a wonderful healer. Not because we've deserved it, but because he does it for us. Amen, church? And I wonder today if there's anybody in this building that needs a real touch from God, maybe a healing or a, or, 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 or of your body or something mentally even. Uh, you, you're just struggling. You're lonely. You're depressed. You're suicidal. You're, you're worried. You're, 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 you're fretting all the time. And, and, and something is, 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 is just, you've got a thorn in the flesh and you've been getting frustrated about it or something's going on in your life. I want to let you know today that God is a healer. God is a gift giver. God is, is somebody who will put a thorn in our flesh and will use that thorn in the flesh to serve him at a greater capacity. And I wonder today if anybody just needs a special touch from God, a, a, a renewing of your mind, a healing of your body today, a refreshing of the soul today. This season, you're going to say, I'm putting myself on the shelf. This, this holiday season, God, I'm going to forgive one person every single day leading up to Christmas this season, God. Humble is the way. Pride is to, it leads to death, but humbleness leads to life, church. And maybe you can come to the Father today saying, I don't deserve it, God, but could you do it for me anyway? That's the God we serve. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Let me pray for you. Jesus, touch us today. Heal us today. Fix us today. God, I pray for anybody in this room who's got a broken bone. Would you heal them? A disease? A, a disease? an infirmity, a sickness. Lord God, heal them today, Jesus, we pray. Lord, we graciously and humbly ask for you to walk among us and touch our broken bodies, not because we deserve it, but God, because you are good. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. You are the one way, the only way to the Father. And Jesus, we need you. We love you. We serve you. We adore you. We praise you. We worship you today. Today, You are the only way, God. And we love you today, Jesus. Jesus, you have made a way for me to heaven. And it's not by my works, but it's by the wonderful works of Jesus Christ today. Let's just lift our hands, church and worship and adoration. Maybe we can sing a little bit. Worship team. When we pray yes. in the secret place you beg to listen you long to hear it when we pray in the secret place
wonderful. You've done it all. You've healed our bodies. You've touched our minds. You, 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 you caused the, the worries and the fears and the anxieties to begin to melt away. Jesus, you've done it all for us. We are humbled in your presence. If you'd love to give your life to Jesus today, I'd be honored to pray with you and lead you in that prayer. If you're here this morning and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to, I need forgiveness for my sins. I need a Savior today. If that's you in this place, you got to like that prodigal son, you got to come back. You got to take those steps to come back today and say, I need the Father to forgive me. I've messed it all up, man. If that's you today, you want to give your life to Jesus, could you just simply raise your hand at church today? Just lift your hand right up into the air. Let me see who you are. Anybody at church today say, I want to give my life to Jesus, a wonderful Savior, my friend, Anybody at church today? Well, Lord God, we love you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. You first loved us. You ran after me when I was a sinner. You hunted me down when I rejected you. I say thank you, Jesus, for not giving up on me. Thank you, Jesus, for healing me even when I didn't deserve it. Thank you, Jesus, for breath in my lungs. There's just a wonderful presence of the Lord in this place today. Let's just sing a little bit, church. We got a few minutes left. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. Yours is the kingdom.